Well, all right. It's Monday night. It's foundation. We're going to be in Jeremiah 18 tonight. We had hoped to have done 18 and 19, and we're not. These are uh, challenging and exciting times. Appreciate all of you finding your seats as fast as you can. Our ministry training level one class is learning to present the word of God, transferring the impact that it has had on you to others. Amen. Our ministry training level two class is learning to discern the schemes of the enemy, specifically how to view demonic powers, how to understand their tactics. Learning our vulnerabilities. And of course, how to practice such good spiritual hygiene that God's purposes prevail in every situation. And as our gracious Lord would have it for us, we are being given the opportunity to have field case studies. (laughs) Amen. Church, our spiritual situational awareness is growing, and you are succeeding. After spending Sunday morning focused on remembering the first time that we stood in the Lord's presence so that we can become secure sons, our afternoon was filled with demonic encounters. Yeah. Yeah. They're the perfect opportunity to see the impact of the gospel on the lives of the believing community, though. Luke 10, 19 tells us we've been given power over all the power of the enemy. It's so important for us as secure sons to understand the source, the nature, and the application of this kind of power. LCM is a warrior culture. Yes. And we do not wage war as the world does. Amen. During this time of sifting, the Lord is teaching us to determine his will. And not only his will, but how to properly walk in his ways so that we are not deceived into following the schemes of the enemy. I'm proud of the pastors of this church. Amen. You can slap a pastor in this church and cannot provoke a carnal response out of it. I'm proud of the men in this church. They desire to protect their brothers. They stand to protect their fathers. But they also cannot be trapped into the schemes of the enemy. I'm proud that this community stands for the will of God. Performed in the ways of God. And you do it without wavering in your faith. This is because you understand that appearing weak in a situation only allows for the transforming power of God to be displayed in your life. This morning, I woke up and I read Psalm 119. And I have some encouragement for us from that passage. I want to read to you Psalm 119, starting in verse 49. And tell you that it is under the topic of Zion. Zion carries with it the connotation of food, nourishment, or even cutting. 
Verse 49. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. Our lives are not preserved by physical might. Our lives are not preserved by the CHL that so many of you have. (laughs) Our lives are, somebody say are, are, preserved through suffering as we cling to his promises. Remember, saints, any humiliation that you receive in this life, well, it's just exaltation in the age to come. Amen. Verse 51, the arrogant (coughs) mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. Simply put, there cannot be enough pressure put on you to get you to turn from the direction your king has established for you. The arrogant can mock. They can be without restraint, but our restraint shows our devotion to the Lord. Having the power to protect yourself and choosing not to, well, that is glorious, isn't it? Yes. Verse 52. I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. If you're angry, you should be. God is. He is angry when men turn from his law. When you see a former brother insulting, trying to intimidate, or being insolent towards the brothers of this community, rest assured, you're seeing how that man feels about God. You are seeing what that man would do to God if he had the opportunity to do so. If God were a man, that's how that brother would treat God as a man. Additionally, when you uh, see weak, confused, compromised brothers who sympathize with that offender, you're not seeing a higher version of Christianity. You're in fact seeing a counterfeit version of Christianity. The kind that frees Barabbas but crucifies Jesus. Yeah. This is always done out of the pretense of religion, when in reality, it's their own desire to avoid the judgment of God on the idolatrous areas of their own heart. That's what muddies their thoughts. Verse 54, your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. The holy, masculine men among us, well... We can take a punch for the glory of God. Any animal can deliver one. There may be an appropriate moment to defend an orphan or a widow or a powerless man. These are not those moments because that is not our situation. We are secure sons. We choose to endure insults for the glory of God. We don't have to. But it's the song of our hearts to be able to do so. Let that be our warrior song. Verse 55. In the night, I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey 
your precepts. I want the whole community to know I am proud of Nick Rosales. I am proud of Marlon Sosa. I'm proud of Pastor Wade Sutherland. We're not unable to defend ourselves. In this situation, we recognize that it's our glory not to. Well, this is not our comprehensive doctrine on the use of force. It is the discernment of the spirit and the word regarding this situation. Let's pray and glean insight from Jeremiah tonight as he deals with the same religious speech, with the same demonic roots in our coming chapters. There will always be those digging a hole to throw the prophet in. And there will always be those brothers that do not realize that they're compromised who stand by gently caressing and rubbing the shoulders of our attackers. We will express masculinity through the use of spirit-directed actions. We will never succumb to the evil inclinations of the compromised religious heart. As we pray tonight, we're going to begin by praying for personal transformation in us. Then we're going to move on to pray for repentance to be granted to both the compromisers and the aggressors. Then we're going to pray for purity in the house of God. That is how we choose to respond. It's not how we have to respond. It's our glory to respond this way. It's the theme of our heart. If you have 45 men with CHLs, clearly the situation can go a different direction. But it's to our glory to be insulted because of our stance for the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and ask you to transform us. Lord, that every area of our hearts that crave to rely on our own strength. Lord, that you would transform us. That we would rely on the armory of heaven. Father, we pray for repentance for the compromising, polluted wells that cannot make righteous choices. Lord, we ask that you show them the idolatry in their hearts so that they might be granted repentance. Father, we pray for those that would attack us for no other reason than we love you and have loved them. And we ask that you turn their wicked hearts away from a path of destruction. Most of all, Lord, we ask that in this house you would purify your people. Lord, that in this house you would raise up such a standard that these would be easy decisions. We love you, Lord, and we honor your great name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, Miss Jennifer, would you like to read chapter 18? I would love to. Then do that loud and proud for us. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working in the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel, 
If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended for it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will, will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Inquire among the nations. Who has ever heard anything like this? A most horrible thing has been done by virgin Israel. Does the snow of Lebanon ever vanish from its rocky slopes? Do, it, do cool waters from distant sources ever cease to flow? Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways and in the ancient paths. They made them walk in byways and on roads not built up. Their land will be laid waste and an object of lasting scorn. All who pass by will be appalled and will shake their heads. Like a wind from the east, I will scatter them before the enemies. I will show them my back and not my face mm. in the day of their disaster. They said, come, let us make plans against Jeremiah for the teaching of the law by the priest will not be lost, nor will counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophets. So come, let's attack him with our tongues and pay no attention to anything he says. Listen to me, O Lord, hear what my accusers are saying. Should good be repaid with evil? Yet they have dug a pit for me. Remember that I stood before you and spoke in their behalf to turn your wrath away from them. So give their children over to famine. Hand them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives be made childless and widows. Let their men be put to death, their young men slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when you suddenly bring invaders against them, for they have dug a pit to capture me and have hidden snares for my feet. But you know, O Lord, all their plots to kill me. Do not forgive their crimes or blot out their sins from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. Wow. Well, needless to say, things are heating up in Jeremiah's life at this point. Almost like things are heating up in our church and in our lives as well, right? Yeah. Welcome to the Potter's House. <laughs> See, God is an all-consuming fire. And he is a furnace to those that want to be refined by him, but also those that don't, do not want to be refined by him. That process happens simultaneously at the same time. So as we dig in, you're going to see a lot of relevancy between what's happening in Jeremiah's life to what's happening in our church at this time. So Linton, liaison law of the, on the lips, pick up in verse 1 and read to verse 4. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from clay was marred in his hands. So the, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. 
Now the potter's house concept is a major one. It's weaved all throughout the word and we're going to get to that. But as we get into the potter's house as a concept, we have to first acknowledge something that God told Jeremiah. Do you see where he said in verse 2, go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message? I want to read this to you in the ESV. Jeremiah 18.1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. I will let you hear my words. You see, it's not granted to hear the word of God. It's not something that you can just expect to happen under any circumstance. There are conditions to that. To hear the words of God, you must be where he says to be. Wow. You have to be in the location that God tells you to. So the thought that, well, I can hear from God anywhere. I can go to this church and hear from God is not true. Because if you're disobeying the first thing he told you, i.e. the location of where you're supposed to be, then he won't speak anything else to you. It is a privilege to hear God's words. We have to understand that. It's not just something that we can expect at any given time. It is a privilege for God to take his time to speak to humanity. He's a king. We must not expect to hear anything other than words of personal conviction unless we are where he says to be. Meaning, if, if we're not where he says to be, then we can't expect to hear from him, but it's not going to be what you want to hear from him. It's going to be a warning. It's going to be God's spirit convicting you, saying, go back to the place and be obedient where I told you to be. I want to hand out a few scriptures on this topic. So, Paul Rosales, you get Exodus 29, verse 42. Nick Rosales, you get 1 Kings 17, 2 through 4. Nolando, you're going to get Ezekiel 3, 22. Uh, Steve Thomas, Acts 9, 6. And uh, that's all for now. Listen, we're going to cover some very heavy subjects today. But we want you to know we're proud of you, and we're in great moods. It's just that they're big subjects. Jonah in the word 
and rightly infer that our disobedience may cause God to speak to us through circumstances rather than the intimacy of an obedient son with his father. You see, Jonah was going the opposite way. Because of those circumstances, the Lord was speaking to Jonah saying, hey, turn around, turn around, turn around. That's not, that's not the kind of relationship that we want to have with our father. No. We want to be an obedient son that has an intimate relationship, a loving relationship that is like, yes, father, wherever you want us to go, that's where I'm going to be, and I'm going to hear your voice there. If Jonah had been an American Christian, especially in the charismatic and Pentecostal community, he would have simply seen a great fish swallowing him as the enemy trying to prevent him. <laughs> God will use circumstances to teach you when you will not obey him. But Christians are almost 100% of the time don't believe God will actually do that. They attribute it to the enemy when in fact it's their own father frustrating their way because the son will not listen to the father. Let's go to 1 Kings 17 and we're going to hear about a man who did have intimacy with the father. Come on. All right, in a believing community, you should know who Elijah is. This is one of the more prolific prophets that existed. In fact, we may see more of them in the ages to come. Why don't we keep reading? See, this is how men of God have always heard his voice. This is how they have always seen the miraculous. Elijah didn't wake up one morning any more than you wishing to go hide somewhere, but he obeyed the voice of the Lord and went where he told him to go. Then the next part of this, none of us woke up this morning wishing to eat out of a raven's mouth. Now, I know you've read that many times, but I want you to picture, like vividly in your mind for just a moment, your every meal coming out of the mouth of a bird off that power line. Not exactly Texas de Brazil. <laughs> and yet, the important step that every man of God must cross to actually hear from God is to go where he first told you to go. That's where you find the voice of God, the power of God, and the miraculous. Saints, I think we're heading the right way, even as it gets difficult. Who is Ezekiel? 3.22. The hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, get up and go out to the plain, and there I will speak to you. I don't know. We're talking about Ezekiel now, and I'm still stuck on Elijah. <laughs> I, maybe, maybe Elijah woke up the next morning and wondered whether, whether his response in going to hide was really the masculine thing to do. But I suspect, I suspect that in obedience, he felt the real stuff of the holiness of God. Amen. It's not like the man didn't have the power to call down fire from heaven on the enemies of God. It's that it's mercy that he chose to obey the voice of God and got to heal some people instead of kill people because he did both. But now we're talking about Ezekiel. <laughs> and it would be easy, easy for Ezekiel to say, hey, uh, why can you not just speak to me here? Not a question of whether God can or not. 
It's a matter of placing yourself in a position of obedience first so that you can hear from him in that position. You're having trouble hearing from God? Ask yourself a giant question. Did you do the last thing that he told you to do? Because if you didn't, the only thing that you should ever expect to hear from him again is conviction. And you ought to be looking in your rearview mirror for a fish to come and swallow you. But if you did do the last thing that he told you to do, you can eagerly anticipate more direction from your loving father who wants to direct your footsteps. Did somebody have Acts 9? This is Paul's moment of conversion. This is the first thing that God spoke to Paul. From the moment of conversion, like Paul, we should have been learning this lesson as the Apostle Paul did. That you are told where to go first, and then after you're obedient, you are obedient, God speaks. And when you were doing your homework after uh, yesterday's message, did you remember feeling certain things that God was telling you to do, and then as you did them, God told you more things to do? Yes. Yes. That is how God does it from conversion onward. All too often, the disobedient expect to continue in their disobedience and hope to rightly hear from God in that position of disobedience. This is like a child hoping that what the last thing their parents said is nullified because Enough time has passed. It is not nullified. The the Father will make sure that it is not nullified and cause you to go back and do what he said. This is almost always because they are being told otherwise from leaders and are simply prideful. They don't want to have to admit that they failed somewhere a week ago, month ago, and that they have to go back before they can move on. This shows up in so many different areas where it seems complicated to hear about your mezuzah or to hear about a wife or to hear about a family function. It really isn't that complicated. You have to go and do the last thing you were told. And as God sees obedience rise, his voice rises in your life. I just can't hear from God, Pastor. I don't know why. Well, for five years, we've been telling you to show up on Monday nights, and that subject has shown up for five years every single Monday. I don't know why you can't hear from God. Maybe you're not where God told you to be. Come on. No, it can't be that. It's probably just that you suck, Pastor. <laughs> Look, Paul was a man of revelation, and nobody could argue with that, right? But also, Paul was a man of obedience. That's why that revelation increased. Look, throughout our text tonight, you will see that priests, prophets, and the people of God have actually put themselves in a position where they cannot rightly determine what God is saying. And it's not because God doesn't want to speak to them. It's because they're not willing to be obedient. They are religious and even seem to believe that they are representing God. Like, we bear God's name. We have a temple. We have all this stuff. They seem to think they're representing God, but their judgment is clouded by their own disobedience and idolatry. We hear from God just as good as you do, Moses. Never mind the leprosy on my face. As we, as we continue in the dialogue between God and Jeremiah, we want to make you sensitive to three precepts that are continually arising throughout the narrative of the potter's house. 
These three precepts you're going to hear throughout the teaching tonight. But it's not just in this chapter that you're going to see these three precepts. You're going to see these, pre these three precepts through the teen chapters of Jeremiah and throughout the whole book. So they're important. The first one is principle. Somebody say principle. Principle. The principle is this, that God is in control of all circumstances. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. amen. Your God, our God, is in control of the circumstances. That is the principle that we are teaching tonight. And that is the principle that the book of Jeremiah presents time and time again. Somebody say purpose. Purpose. The purpose is this. God has an outcome that will ultimately be achieved. Somebody again say amen for that. Amen. God's outcome, his ultimate outcome, it's going to come to pass. It's going to be achieved. That is the purpose for which he does everything that he does. Somebody say person. 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 Every man in every generation must trust him in every circumstance. Amen. So as we speak about the nation of Israel, we are not just throwing out this people group and they're somewhere over here and it's non-personable. And no, we're talking about every single person has an opportunity to trust the Lord. Every single person has an opportunity for faith in the Lord. And every single person in this room also has an opportunity to interact with God's control in all circumstances, God's outcome that will ultimately be achieved. You have an opportunity to interact with that, and your participation is dependent on the way that you grab a hold of your opportunity. As you guys interact with this slide, that figurine... <laughs> is more than 2,000 years old, was actually dug up in Israel, and is from the Ben-Hinnom Valley, <laughs> Valley, <laughs> Valley, where they made pottery. And I just want to point out, for everybody's peace, comfort, those are his knees. <laughs> it got me. Brother Linton, help us out. Why don't you pick up in verse 5 all the way to verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to peace. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up, and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Man, I love passages like this, chiefly because the Christian world at large has misunderstood them. They're approaching it from the wrong end of the funnel and come to a conclusion that no original audience ever could. Primarily, this passage has been misunderstood in two opposing sides of the spectrum. First, it has been wrongly applied to mean that God is reactionary in the sense that he is waiting to see what happens and then responding. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> the second is, it has been wrongly applied to mean that God has predetermined every single detail and that men have no responsibility in what happens in their daily lives. I'm happy to say that neither of those concepts are correct, nor were they in the mind of the biblical author. 
Let's take a look at a few relevant passages that help us understand what God is communicating here. Come on. Isaiah 29, 15 through 16 is going to be our first passage. <coughs> Cody Stevens, will you get that one for me? Got it. Our next one is going to be Isaiah 45, verse 9. Gabriel, will you get that one? Isaiah 64, 8 through 12. JJ, will you get that one? Then we're going to do Romans 9, 19 through 21. Let's get Adam in the back, back there. Then our next passage, we'll work through on our own. You can go ahead and pick up in Isaiah 29 when you're there. 15 through 16. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord. Who do their work, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were though to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him, say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? Man, I love the word of God. It puts things so blatantly that men would never express with their lips, but is absolutely the condition of their heart. They believe that no one will know that the Most High will not see it. Isaiah said, things have been turned upside down. You've got it backwards. Now, there are other ways that I could say that sentence, but I'm going to let your mind fill it in. Isaiah is using this language 200 years before Jeremiah. The context is that the master potter is aware of every aspect in detail of the material, those that are in his hands, his people. Amen. Now, the principle in this situation is that God is in control of the circumstances that he will use, despite the fact they don't believe it. The purpose, he has an ultimate outcome that is the finished product of what he will accomplish in his people. You may not understand, you may rebel, but the end result will always be a discarding of that piece of material. In other words, that generation will be discarded. Yep. Not the end project, not the end goal. Amen. Now the person, every man in every generation must trust the author, must trust the potter, must trust the Almighty God in every circumstance, or they become a vessel of ignoble purposes, glorifying God's name by becoming objects of wrath, marred, broken into pot shards. In every generation there is a choice, and through the prophet Isaiah, it's forecasting things that would come to pass. Who has Isaiah 45, verse 9? Woe to him who quarrels with his maker. Uh-oh. To him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? Wow. Mm. So again, Isaiah used this language 200 years before Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is simply building on it under the inspiration of the Lord. The whole concept is that the master potter, well, he's not to be argued with regarding what he's aiming to achieve. He knows what he wants to produce. He's the artist forming it. He's not to be treated as if he has no hands or as if he cannot lay those hands on you. <coughs> When you think through the principle, God is in control of the circumstances that he uses to form his will. Whether or not you find them pleasing, he will lay his hands on you 
to form his intended outcome. When you think of the purpose, he has ultimate control of the outcome. And he's aiming at a finished product that he will accomplish. You may not understand, but you cannot keep him from accomplishing his goal. You'll either be molded into what he wants to make you, or you will be crushed by the same hand that was going to mold you. This comes down to every person in Israel and every person in this room. Every man and every generation must trust him in every circumstance. This determines what kind of vessel you are, whether you are being used for his glory or whether you get to glorify him by being a shattered pot shard that displays his wrath. Now, to get a pot shard, what do you have to make first? Pottery. Pottery. And it has to go through a fire. It has to be hardened. Look, every vessel in the law had to be able to pass through fire. And if after passing through the fire, it did not come out as you wanted it to be, the law requires it to be shattered so that it cannot be used again. The refining fire of God in your life is supposed to produce his outcome. If it doesn't, it will also produce his outcome, which simply means your life will be displaying what happens when you treat God like his hands are not capable of shaping you. He will shatter your life. I have seen this so many times in Christianity that I hate to recount them. So we had a demonic encounter yesterday. The painful part of that is I already know the end of the story. Five years, 10 years, 20 years makes no difference. I know what that life will look like because it's resisting what God wants to do. I came home after receiving another demonic phone call from another person that we've done this with for 20 years, and I got a letter. It was a letter from a pastor in Dallas, Texas whose people were out witnessing on the street. And they met a homeless man on a bench who said, what church do you go to? They said, Remnant. said, Remnant, isn't that Pastor Hutchinson's church? Why, yes, it is. And is he still associated with Eric Stevens? Well, yes, he is. The man then began to describe how he's gotten divorced and lost his children, has ended up where he's at, And that man helped me write Discipleship Helps years ago. I prayed for him the year Judah was born to get filled with the Holy Ghost. But he has been resistant to what God is doing in his life for seven or eight years, so it's being shattered to pieces in the way that he now glorifies God is as a pot shard. I don't want anyone in this room to become a pot shard. That's why we warn people the way we do, because there is a rod of iron in the hand of our king. And if you will not be formed by him, then you will be pieces on the ground. Giving testimony to the fact that he does not change his goal or his intended outcome, but you can change whether or not you're a vessel of honor or wrath based on how you react to his hand. Now we're going to get into Isaiah 64, 8 through 12. But I'm sure you've realized already that the last two scriptures we read are dealing with people who are clay, and they are in the hands of the potter. They have no choice. They are in his hand whether they like it or not, but they're choosing to not be molded by the potter. And it's a dire situation. 
That is why Isaiah is writing these things. When we get into Isaiah 64, you're going to see something entirely different. That's different. right. The people Amen. are admitting to something here, and I want you to see it. Who's got that? Hey, are y'all ready to get positive? Yeah. yeah. This one's going to be positive. there they're not saying they're they're not just refusing they're actually admitting that he is the supreme one with sovereignty over their life and that they are the ones to be molded keep reading do not be angry beyond measure O lord do not remember our sins forever (laughs) totally different than what you've read in the last two passages right yeah keep going Now, you have to ask yourself the question, how does verse 11, how is it true when this didn't happen in Isaiah's day? The temple was burned with fire. That didn't happen in Isaiah's day. It's 200 years before it happened. So if you notice something about Isaiah 64, it seems that Isaiah is foreseeing the day that after these things had happened, after the fire had burned the clay and refined it, Israel would see themselves as clay. They would actually have the recognition that I cannot do whatever I want. I have to accept the conditions on my life from the potter. They, they would see themselves as clay in the hands of the potter. When they would have experienced themselves as marred clay. When they had the recognition that we have been disobedient, we are marred and then God deals with them through the furnace of his fire, then they can understand that. Hey, I want to just give you a little hint of encouragement here. You realize you're marred clay at the altar, and then you go and re-wet at the labor and say, make me into your image, Lord. (laughs) When they would have experienced themselves as marred clay, the reshaped clay, the master is at work within them, the nation, to produce the vessel that he wanted for his glory out of the nation. That is the process that is happening through that refining fire. They can see that the master is at work in them. Now those that do not see that the master is at work in them, well, they're in the process of marred clay. That's what it's like. You can't recognize, you just think you control everything about your own life and you refuse to believe that you're actually in the hands of a great potter and that all of these things are his workings. Good luck with that, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. We see the same three precepts in this passage. There is a principle. God is in control of the circumstances and will shape Israel through the use of the events that mold them to his liking. He will orchestrate everything so that he gets a product that he wants. There is the purpose. It is the ultimate outcome in mind. That is the purpose why God is doing this. The purpose is that they will ultimately call on him as father. Amen. They will do that. He's a good potter. They will be a vessel of his glory as he told the patriarchs that they would. 
The generational discipline is ultimately only for the shaping of the national vessel. I think you need to say that again. That's, that's, that's print worthy. The generational discipline is ultimately for the shaping of the national vessel. God is building his testimony through these fires and refining in their nation. Now you see this at play with every person within the nation or every person in this church. Every man in every generation must, say must, must, must trust him in every circumstance, every circumstance, whether good, whether bad, whether their own fault, whether someone else's fault, every circumstance you have to trust the potter that he is calling things to happen for the good of those who love him. The clay is not capable of determining whether it was good or bad. The clay doesn't know what he's making yet. Yeah. Yeah. The clay simply needs to trust the hand of the master potter. Amen. Now this trust determines whether a generation is marred and or is a part of the ultimate glorious design. Did you hear that and or there? <coughs> you could be barred and still be a part of the ultimate glorious design. Amen. You just have to recognize that you're clay being formed in the hands of the potter. The first step is to realize you're disfigured. Yeah. The second step is in that realization to ask him to shape you properly. Amen. But if you're disfigured, if you're not according to his design and you deny it, don't think for a minute he won't lay his hands on you. Come on. He, he will. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> Do you want to hear a trustworthy statement? Yes. Do you want your trust to be founded upon the rock? Yes. Well, the rock is, is that God will ultimately arrive with the generation where every person in Israel calls on him as father, master, savior. That is Romans eleven twenty six. And hey, the truth is, is if he'll do that for Israel, he can do it for you as well. Amen. Who's got Romans 9, 19 through 21? Now, before we read Romans 9, 19 through 21, you got to know something. We are about to read some of the most misunderstood chapter in the entire word of God. Yeah. But we've given you the prophetic key to be able to understand it correctly. Look at Romans 9 in view of the potter's house, in view of the potter shaping the clay, in view of the potter with his nation of Israel and the generations of clay that he's picking out from the lump of clay and he's making pots in his hand. This is gonna be that key. Also, before we read this, I want to remind you, the common way, two common ways uh, to look at this passage that are both wrong. First, <laughs> wrongly applied to mean that God is simply reactionary. Like he's standing back and he's just kind of waiting to see what happens. No. He's a potter, and he has clay in his hand. He's not just simply reactionary. Secondly, it has also wrongly been applied to mean that God has already predetermined every detail already. That is also not true. Now that you know this, let's read Romans 9, 19 through 21, and let's see it in a new light. Amen. You know, what is formed, say to him who formed it, why did you make me this like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? <clears throat> now, I got a question for you. Who understood this concept better? The author, Paul, or John Calvin? <laughs> oh. 
Maybe Paul, right? No, yeah. probably Paul because Paul started at the right end of the funnel and John Calvin started at the wrong end of the funnel. So it's easy to misunderstand a passage like Romans chapter 9. Now, open theists, all kinds of groups that you know, they've misunderstood Romans 9 because they've started from the New Testament side of the funnel and they haven't understood the concepts of the potter's house. When teaching on the destiny of Israel in chapters 9 through 11 of Romans, you have to go back to what you just learned about the potter's house and you have to picture the father of Israel the God of Israel as a potter with his hands on the clay, taking lumps out and trying with his hands to form that lump of clay into something that is good for his use. You also have to picture a group of theologians sitting around going, you screwed up that, that vessel, get another one, rename it, anything else that's beyond repair. But he never switches lumps of clay. It's the same lump of clay the entire time. That's what Romans chapter 9 that we just read, it says. So there is a lump of clay and he's picking out and he's forming pottery with his own hands and he is forming it and looking to see whether it turns out to be hard or it turns out to be something that is noble use ready for the master, willing to do what he wants to do. The principle of Romans chapter 9 is that God is in control of the circumstances that he uses to form his will in Israel. Listen to the purpose. God has an ultimate outcome that is the finished product of what he will accomplish. Romans eleven twenty six. all of Israel will be saved. Amen. Even if it involves a temporary hardening <laughs> until, until he accomplishes other things. That hardening passes, and he continues to form the pottery in his hand. That's the whole reason why you and I are sitting here with the revelation that we have today yeah. as dirty Gentiles. <laughs> the person. Put some water on us and we'll be clay. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get into the next passage. The person, every man in Israel, in every generation of Israel, must trust him in every circumstance in Israel. That's why it said the potter has the right to make out of the same lump of clay some generations of pottery for noble purposes and some for ennoble. It is always the same lump of clay. It is always the nation of Israel. And it is always working according to his ultimate goal, what was promised to the patriarchs. As we move forward to personal application. And then we're even going to move forward to some connections between the linen belt that we read back in chapter 13, the heart that we read in 14, and the vessel from last week that is the nation, and also this week. It seems best that we take a brief look at a psalm of David. As we take a look at Psalm 37 together, I want to take a moment to praise the Lord. Yeah. yeah. To praise the Lord for the perseverance of the potter. Oh, that is man. Yeah. Oh, Does man. Does say praise God? Praise God. For the perseverance. For the perseverance. Of the potter. Of the potter. We're going to learn how to be a persevering people tonight. Amen. And Psalm 37 is going to show us how we be shaped by the potter and we <laughs> cease to resist his will, but be transformed in his shape. Amen. Psalm 37 and verse 1. Do not fret. Because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. Uh oh. For like the grass, they will soon wither. 
Like green plants, they will soon die away. It happens. This is true of enemies outside of the nation of Israel and enemies inside of the nation. What follows is the instructions for how Israel should behave as clay in the hands of the master who loves them and wants to make something glorious out of them as a nation. Are y'all all picturing a potter's wheel? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Do not think of Patrick Swayze hovering <laughs> over your shoulder. <laughs> this is, uh, what's wrong, Ruby? I got her attention. <laughs> think of a master potter who is going to achieve his design and part of the intrigue is through the millennia like you can't see how he's going to pull it off. And that only enhances his greatness. Once again, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For they will die away, be shattered. And then we pick up in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Man, we could stop right there. Yeah. If we yeah. could just start with that, things would be great. Yeah. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Now, we have a slide that I would like to show you. This comes from the word trust. It's batak, or at least that's as close as I can get to the Texas accent. A verb indicating to trust, to be confident. It expresses the feeling of safety, security, that is felt when one can rely on someone or something. Does that correlate to you to the prior couple verses? Do not be concerned, they will pass away. Now check out this last part. In addition, this expression can also relate to the state of being confident or secure. Do we have some secured sons in this house? Men on the way to being secure in their sonship without fear. This begins with us trusting our God, having confidence in him, in security in the sonship that is ours in Christ Jesus when we remember what he first did for us and what his presence felt like. It's almost like the master potter would find it offensive if the clay didn't think he knew what he was doing. It's almost like he wants the clay just to be secure and confident in his hands and not be scared that they won't become what they're supposed to. Hey, let's pick up in verse 4. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself is the word anog. Anog, at least as close as I can get in my Louisiana, Texas, California hybrid. You got it, brother. <laughs> means to be soft and pliable. To be happy, soft and pliable. To be happy, take exquisite delight in being soft and pliable in his hands. God is after your desire to be transformed into his image. I had no idea what he was doing, but I was 18 years old, and this verse changed the direction and course of my life. In reading it, I said, Lord, I don't even know what the desires of my heart are. It's almost like I was getting somewhere then. (laughs) I'm marred. I'm messed up. You made me new clay, but I don't know what shape it's supposed to take. Spoke to me about marrying Jennifer. Oh, yes. Because he had in mind the eight grandchildren that I would have now. 
But I would have to trust him. I didn't know what he had in mind. I had to be happy with what he wanted to do. I had to be soft and pliable in his hands so that he could form what he wanted to form. You ready for the best part? He did give me the desires of my heart, and I didn't know what they were until I got them. You want to hear the better part? He's not done yet. I still have to be soft and fly. It's almost like he wants to transform his people. Verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. Now, we don't have a commitment problem in this church, do we? No! Not at all. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. I want to show you this Hebrew word for commit. Now, it's not the type of commitment that you might have to, like, a nicotine patch or something <laughs> like that. It is galal. That hurts, Pastor. <laughs> it's galal, which is a little bit similar to uh, Gilgal, which means to roll, to roll away. That's now, this is not the type of roll like Snoop D-O-double-G roll. Oh, okay. Da-da-da-da-da! <laughs> <laughs> This means to trust, commit, but the root idea is to roll. The Hebrew word often refers to rolling stones. Not the rolling stones, but like rolling stones. The idea is, is that whatever God is doing, you roll with it. Whatever, God, whatever direction that God is bringing you in, you roll with it. Like David Lee Roth said, which, by the way, was a, is a Jew. He's a Jew. You've got to roll with the punches to get to what's real. You've got to roll with the direction that God has for you, wherever that may be, come whatever may. And as you do that, he takes you to where you really actually want to go. And that is transformation in your life. Amen. As you trust him and move on with it, he transforms you little by little. That's a good word. Hey, Nick, what does verse 6 say? Verse 6 says, he will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Man. He's looking at Israel and he's saying, it's going to be your righteousness that shines like the sun. Your cause is going to be like the noonday. Your? Israel's? Yes, yeah. Israel's. Of course, yeah. because they are trusting. Their confidence is in the Lord. They have learned to be happy, soft, and pliable in the hands of the Lord. Are you seeing the imagery of the potter and the clay? They have learned to commit, to roll with the Lord's purposes. And so their righteousness and their cause, it's become the Lord's. They've become one. They've become unified with their God and their Father. They've become absolutely in shalom with Him. And so their cause, what they're going after, what they want, is exactly in line with the Lord. Then He will make Israel's righteousness shine the justice of her cause like the noonday sun and the same principle applies to you and me as well amen it applies to gentile believers who have come into this who have learned that we were marred from the get-go anyway all right somebody tell me you're encouraged we're trying one, one, one more time judah i am encouraged judah i am encouraged brother linton read verse 11 and 12 for me uh-oh uh-oh now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and, and devising a plan against you. 
So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. All right, so far, so good. Let's get verse 12 now. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. That's not a good plan. You find out that the only thing the master potter cannot work with is a heart that doesn't want to be worked with. He's able to take you in your condition and make something beautiful out of you if you will roll with him. Come on. The Lord and Jeremiah are having a discussion. They're talking about the response that they know will come from this generation to the master, to the potter, as Jeremiah delivers this word. Unfortunately, they are not trusting, pliable, and willing to roll with God's purpose on earth. They reject the principle of the potter's house as if it is not God who's in control of their circumstances. They reject the purpose of the potter's house as if they have already achieved his desire and they need no transformation no matter what it looks like. That's why the religious are always in such trouble. They've already achieved the design. They don't see the need to be transformed. Oh, no need for perfection here, Pastor. That's why they stay so lovely. (laughs) Lovely uh, Israeli lumps. (laughs) By doing these things, they reject the molding that each person is destined to have to fit in the national destiny of Israel, the vessel fit for his glory. Look, let me tell you on a practical level, you reject the personal molding that you need to become what God has called you to be, you will miss out on, be rejected, in the corporate destiny of the body. Wow. Because you have a part to play that God will shape you into if you're pliable, trusted, and roll with him. Come on. As you might have guessed, God correctly predicted their irrational response. He knew what they were going to do despite the fact that it was not reasonable, almost as if it was demonically inflamed. We see this all of the time in ministry, and I don't want to get into extra-biblical teaching, but the truth is is... Through the years, you can interpret a scripture like there is a way that seems right unto a man. In the end, it leads to destruction. And shockingly, it stops being a sowed and it becomes very pashat to you. And you can see in front of you somebody headed in a way that seems right to them, but you know how it's going to end. And so you warn them, as Jeremiah has just warned this people. And the irrational response is, it's like there's no hope. I'm doing what I want to anyway. Unfortunately, we know how that ends. We we can see a decade down the line and recognize what it will do to your life. That's why we're so impassioned in our warnings. That's why issues that don't seem serious to you in the moment, we're saying, dude, you need a clay jarhead covenant because something's wrong and you're about to become a pot shard. You need to trust the people that are around you. If you find yourself in a position of arguing with every leader in the church, find yourself in a position of disowning all of your friendships because they, in some way, have disagreed with your direction, you're on a fast road to be a pot shard. Now, tonight, we don't want to be pot shards. No. Tonight, we're going to be happy, yeah. so pliable, mushy-gushy. And uh, what's going to happen as we do that is we're going to move to verse 13. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Inquire among the nations. 
Who has ever heard anything like this? A most horrible thing has been done. It's I almost know. like they've upset God, huh? Yeah. He <laughs> considers what they're doing something that even pagan nations wouldn't do. A most horrible thing has been done by virgin Israel. Does the snow of Lebanon ever vanish from its rocky slopes? Now, that's a, that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> right. hey, can you ever go to Lebanon and not see the mountains producing what they're supposed to do? And the answer is, of course, no. Since you've not been to Lebanon, you don't know that. But it's nice ski slope if you can dodge bullets. Keep going. Do <laughs> <Yeah>. its <laughs> cool water from distant sources ever cease to flow? Nope. Yet my people have forgotten me. What? They, they, they what? They forgot. It's almost like you want to secure yourself as a son. It starts with remembering what he's already done. Yeah. If you came to this ministry with a paper sack full of clothes and you now have a home, a wife, children, a job, how can you end up believing that the ministry was not good for you unless you're clay that is marred and cannot recognize your condition, it must be everybody else's fault. Mm. This is like the clay looking at the potter going, yeah, you ain't got no hands, buddy. Well, that's a good way to find out who lays hands on you. Yeah. Uh, keep, why don't we keep going? I, I shouldn't have interrupted you. I'm, I'm sorry. Yet my people have forgotten me. They burned incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble, stumble in their ways and in the ancient past. They made them walk in bypaths and on roads not built up. These verses constitute a verdict. Some 200 years earlier, Isaiah had cried out in the name of the Lord, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. The problem is, is there are some people in Israel that are the obstacles. So God's going to remove them. They do not want to be molded. So they do not have a place in the generation that becomes a righteous vessel. If you want to avoid this in your life, I would suggest that we get in the habit of remembering the first time we stood in his presence. That we were transformed and keep asking for the transformation. Nothing about God's nature has changed. Nothing about the church or your peer group has changed. Something is simply being revealed in the soil of your heart. And you get a choice to let it be idolatrous and fight to protect it and become critical and defensive and, and accommodating. Or to say, Lord, mold me in your hands. I found one more area where I'm not yet like you want me to be. And I so want to be a vessel in your house that's worthy of glory and yeah. honor. Please, please shape me. The people have departed from the ancient paths. Have you guys spent, I don't know, 100 days yeah. studying the ancient paths? Yeah. Yes. One of the funniest things about it is that when you depart from the ancient path, you're deceived. And like a drunk person that doesn't know he's drunk, you don't realize when you've departed from the right way. The, the bypath is parallel enough that you can still quote some of the sermons. It's parallel enough that you might even be able to remember the few words you used to speak in other tongues. But the truth is, is the byways are filled with refuse. They're the gutter. They're where everything that can't stand on the highway runs off into. It's the place where dead things 
and nasty things are. Yeah. And you're comfortable there. Something's wrong with those people that are standing on such high ground. Yeah. Church, that's not what we want for you. Mm -hmm. Not what we want for us. And look, there are people in this church that have been walking on the highway longer than many of you have been alive. You should probably just trust them. Amen. <laughs> if they're warning you, you should probably trust them. I mean, that's why don't we start with the assumption that we still need to be formed? Yes. Everything yeah. else will, will work from there. Yeah. The reality will not stop the purpose of the potter, though. The potter is going to achieve what he wants to in his nation. The result will be the crushing of a generation. See, you have a calling on your life. Say, I have a calling. I have a calling. God will make sure that calling is done. But if you will not be moldable in his hands, then he will not do it through you. You will be one more example of broken pot shards on the ground. Wow. And your calling will be given to another, someone who will do it. I personally believe I'm presently standing in a calling that another man passed over. But you're not going to pass over your calling, are Amen. you? No. Let's be moldable in his hand. Verse 16 and 17. <clears throat> Their land will be laid waste, an object of lasting scorn. Uh -oh. All who pass by will be appalled and will shake their heads. Like a wind from the east, I will scatter them before their enemies. I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their disaster. Man, obviously a uh, Braveheart reference there. <laughs> it's interesting to see that everyone... Let's pick a fight. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to see in these verses that everyone who sees this lump of clay will be appalled and they will shake their heads. And likewise, God's not going to look at the lump of clay anymore. He's going to turn his face from that lump of clay. Now, I want you to contrast that to number six, verse 23 through 27. This was the destiny for all of Israel. It says, tell Aaron and his sons. This is how you are to bless the Israelites, his lump of clay. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. In Hebrew, this is his ponim. This is his countenance. This is his being. This is the entirety of God's character. It is supposed to be shining upon and being gracious to his lump of clay. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Wow. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Wow. This is the destiny that God ordained for his lump of clay. The intention for the lump of clay was glorious. Say glorious. Glorious. But their obstinance has marred that destiny for this generation into a horror. You have to understand they're not just marring their hearts. They're not just marring their families. They're marring their destinies. That is a tragic thought, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. You see, God has the ability to look at a lump of clay. And to be honest with me, how, how embarrassing are lumps, right? How embarrassing are lumps? God's not embarrassed over those lumps. He has the, he has the ability to look at them and know what he's going to form into those lumps. And the truth is, is if... They would just roll with it, right? Yeah. If they would just roll with it, there is a huge, great, and glorious plan that God has for every one of them. 
but they've destroyed it completely by their obstinance. See, this is not just destroying your heart. This is not just destroying your ability to hear from God. This is destroying what you could be for the world and for the kingdom of God. That's pretty scary, isn't it? This, what we are seeing in Jeremiah, is the imagery of a father that does not want to look at his son. How terrible is that for a father to want to turn his face from his son and not look at him anymore? That has to be pretty bad. That has to be a serious event where God is so grieved because the son is refusing to be pliable in the hands of his father. Yeah, it's very difficult to pick any parallel to that. But as we were thinking about it on the way here, if you had a teenage son that you loved very much and from the time he was young, you dreamed about what he would become. But he beats his mother, beats his mother, leaves her on the ground. You, you may find a way to forgive him, but I bet he's not entering your house again. It is possible to go down a road that you cannot recover your intended purpose. I see it all of the time. This happens when I meet men that are in their 50s and 60s that I know in their 20s were called to do great things for God. And now the very best that they could possibly hope for is to escape eternal damnation. Okay? We are warning a body of believers to stay pliable for a reason. Yeah. Okay? There's a real reason for this. Now contrast what else is happening in this verse with the destiny of a nation. Deuteronomy chapter 4 is the moment where the father picked up this lump of his nation. Yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading in verse 6. And I want you to interact with this passage. I want you to think about what the father is speaking about as he picks up his lump of clay, what he is speaking about, and what his desires for this lump of clay are. You guys there in Deuteronomy 4? Yeah. yeah. Verse 6 says... Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. First, right off the bat, the Father wants his nation, his people, to be somebody that he can display to the rest of the world. Yeah. He wants them to be something that they can be proud of and that he can be proud of. Like, hey, look at my chosen people, Israel. Aren't they beautiful? Who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. He wants them to be spoken well of by the other nations. He wants the nations to see them and to be a reflection of who he is. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? From the very beginning, God wanted to be intimate with his people. Yeah. And his people wanted to be intimate with him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful. Somebody say, be careful. Be Be careful. careful. And watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. What's the next word? Remember Remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words. 
so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. It's time for Israel, as we learn about Israel, it's time for us to look at Israel and learn to love the process in our own lives. Amen. We want to be pliable. We want to be clay that is easily shaped in the hand of the Lord. And it starts with remembering the first time that you were in his presence and what he did for you. Contrast this with a religious generation, a quote-unquote religious generation. When they're confronted with their own marring, when they're confronted with personal idolatry in their own lives, what happens? You find out how they really feel about their God. You find out that they will, they will do to God's ambassadors what they would like to do to God. You figure out that their interaction with God's ambassadors is the way they feel about him. Contrast that to you and I. A lump of clay that is getting re-wet in the spirit of God tonight. A lump of, of clay that is pliable and soft in his hands. That wants to be close to him. Yeah. That wants to react correctly in every correction that he wants to bring into our lives. Look, these religious ambassadors, these religious generations, they do not usually know that they feel this way because they are deceived. Yeah. They will usually presume that they are doing God a favor. I'm just helping him. I'm helping him out. That they're operating maybe at a higher level of understanding than God's actual ambassadors. <laughs> we better move on to verse 18. Why don't you get verse 18 for me, Brother Linton? They said, come, let's make plans against Jeremiah, for the teaching of the law by the priests will not be lost. Nor with the counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophets. So come, let's attack him with our tongues and pay no attention to anything he says. Now we collectively have the written word of God, the inspired oracle of his utterance. And we're informed by it. I don't think this is the only time that men profess to be protecting the teaching of the law, to be protecting the counsel of the wise, to be standing on words of prophecy while they're actually positioning themselves as adversaries of God's will on earth. Now, these men are proclaiming that they're in right standing <coughs> and that Jeremiah is the one that is the problem. There's something I want to drill in this evening. You have run into this. At a few points in your life, you have been this. And each and every time that you see a man that is deceived, he believes he's doing a service to God. They're looking at Jeremiah and have determined that he's the problem. He's the deception. And they're the ones preserving the real truth while fighting to stand in wickedness. Now, this evening, we're going to rattle through a few scriptures together. We're going to rotate. You have notes. I want you to hear the overwhelming volume that we're just giving you a sampling of. As you hear this coursing through the prophets, apply it to your own life and use it for sober judgment, a distinguishing between spirits and other conversations that you have. This is Zechariah 11, 4 through 5. This is what the Lord my God says. Pastor the flock marks for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. Tell me what is not the state of the church at large today. 
Praise God, I am rich while selling souls to the pits of hell and proclaiming that they're saved. We live in an environment with shepherds that are actually a slaughterhouse standing as if they represent God, proclaiming that they're protecting the law, the prophets, and wisdom. Man, how many times have I heard that? They look so much more compassionate, though, Judah, because they don't call out sin. They're not serious about the standards of God. And you can go camp in any one of their churches and look like you're doing just fine, even if you're sleeping with somebody that's not your wife. Isaiah 66, 5. Isaiah 66.5 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, your brothers who hate you and exclude you because of my name have said, Let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy, yet they will be put to shame. I want you to understand, saints, not everybody that accepts behavior has your best interest in mind. And if the reason that you have fellowship with someone is because you both hate the discipline of the Lord, that's not a good thing. I've been doing this long enough to notice that when somebody will not walk rightly with the Lord, they find comfort with others that also don't walk rightly with the Lord. And it's usually that those pastors, those elders, they just don't understand. After a decade, I've never seen anybody do well in that scenario, ever, not, not, not one time. I hope to be proven wrong at some point. I would like to see it work out for somebody. But if you want, right after this meeting, I'll give you a list 20 people long who knew that it was God's will for them to be here, have a calling here, could not make some adjustment in their own lives, and now the people they have fellowship with also are the ones that could not make an adjustment in their life. And the only thing they have in common is they know that this church has ruined their lives. That's not how it's supposed to be. Matthew 10, 17 through 23. Be on your guard against men. That's a solid truth, isn't it? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be on your guard. Sheep, be on guard. Your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. You see, what what we often think about this passage when we're just rolling through this and hearing it and thinking about us being in a situation like that one day, we usually think that it's on the mission field and it's obvious, right? Like these are radical jihadist Muslims, or these are some kind of communists. No, Jesus is speaking about the religious crowd. Those that looked just like the people that are being handed over. Those that speak just like the ones being handed over. They look virtually the same until they're confronted with their idolatry. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. I love that Jesus said that because... When this usually happens, we're so blindsided, like, what? I thought they were my friends, because we weren't on our guard. But thankfully, Jesus says, don't worry. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And I will tell you that that doesn't look like buddying up. The Lord will give you the right words to address their condition and put them on trial. 
I doubt seriously it would be words of comfort. If you have any question about who these people are that are doing this, hmm. handing them over, Jesus continues in verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death. Man, we haven't seen that recently, have we? Brother will betray brother and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men. Say all men. All men. All men will hate you because of me. Take a simple spiritual gauge right now and ask yourself, are you hated in some circles? Yep. yep. If you're not hated, then there might be something wrong. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm till the end will be saved. Amen. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Hey, I, can I just take off the gloves for a minute as, uh, as Brother Nick uh, gets into Luke 10? This is a foundations meeting. It goes out to the whole one association. But let me just say it plainly. If a man like Pat Rosales is comfortable in your home, but when he stands in front of a pastor, he slaps him in the face, what does that say about you? If you are comfortable with people that would crucify Jesus and they are comfortable with you, what does that say about you? If the only people that reach out to you are people that have already been weighed, measured, and found wanting in this community, what does that say about you? At some point, you should be insulted that they think they can find comfort in your house. But the truth is, sometimes you're just deceived into thinking you're just more compassionate. You're not. You're weak. Now let's get transformed. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> it's time to transform. Luke 10, verses 2 through 4, gives us some more insight on the topic. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Man, that's so true. Listen to verse 3 as he clarifies for us. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. You know why I love you guys so much? You know why I value our relationship so much? Because the harvest is huge and it's yeah. always going to be there. Yeah. But the workers are few. Yeah. We are few. You've got to value the relationships that you have around you. Amen. Hey, I don't know how you treat one another. Actually, I do. Yeah, they do. I know exactly <laughs> how you treat one another. And I'm telling you, you've got to elevate that treatment. You gotta elevate your love for your brother and your sister in this Amen. place. You got to learn to value the relationships that are in this room. Because let me tell you the truth, just like Jesus did in Luke 10, there's not a whole lot of us. No. The harvest is always gonna be there. But there's not always gonna be workers sitting here in this room like this. Hey, if a brother or sister comes to you and says, Hey man, what you're tolerating in your life, I don't think it's a good idea. Man, you should be running. You should be appreciative. You should be thankful. You should be pliable in the hands of the Lord God Almighty. That is what we are destined for, and that's what causes us to continue to walk together in unity. Hey, say the workers are few. The workers are few. We've had some sad events lately. 
But at least God's making room to put more workers in here. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's hit John 16. John 16, verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. Amen. Amen. Praise God that the word of God is capable of preparing us. Amen. So that we stand. So that we win. Hey, I want to throw a plug in as well. Uh-oh. <laughs> Hello. If you can tolerate Pat Rosales and it says something about you, what does it say about Nick Rosales or Paul Rosales when exactly what the scripture says will happen when you take your stand on righteousness happens in their life? Yeah. Come on. Saints, we have reason to believe that God's word is at work inside of us. Yeah. In fact, the words of Jesus are happening to the families in this church. Yeah. You know why? Because he's telling us in advance so that we don't go astray. Amen. He is preparing us and we will take our stand. Come on. Hey, say, I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. With those who stand for God. With those who stand for God. You'll never go wrong in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Now, they who have compromised on the truth, they who will not be molded, will put you out of the synagogue or the meeting place. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Saints, i got to tell you, this is not your feelings. This is not slander. This is exactly what the text says. We're in these times, and these times are increasing. Now is the time to prepare so that you will not go astray then. Come on. Matthew 24, 9 to 12 is next. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. This is spoken to a believing community who all think they're saved. So who's going to be handing anyone over? (laughs) You follow me? We're speaking to the same lump of clay, but we're finding out some are uh, pot shards. Then you will be handed over to to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Are you going to stand? Yes. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. They didn't understand what we're talking about right now. They didn't understand what it's like to stand for God, or we should say, stand for holiness, stand for righteousness. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I want you to get something. Those that crucified the Lord of glory, they didn't understand what they were doing. They thought that they were doing a service to God. Look at Judas. He thought that he was propelling the will of God, but instead he was crucifying the Lord of glory. You want to know the truth behind that? If you are a secure son and representing the God of all the ages, they will do that to you as well. If they can can take God in human form and hate him to such a point that they crucified him not knowing what they are doing, then they will look at you as well, the representative of God, and try to crucify you as well because you represent God. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders... 
That sounds like there's going to be some bypaths going on right next door to the ancient path. Wow. The only good way. Yeah, they're going to be convincing, all right? They're going to look very, very similar. But thank God for the rest of this passage that's going to show us and tell us how we stick to the ancient path. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refuse to love the truth. When they were confronted with the truth, they said, yeah, I don't want any of that. I, I, I don't want the truth. I don't want to have to do what the truth says that I have to do. Hey, what you get to do is to be confronted with the truth and you get to identify, hey, that's what the truth looks like. That's what I want. Guys, this is the cry of my heart. This is what brought me to LCM is, Lord, I'm tired of bypass. I'm tired of getting stuck in things that look like real Christianity, but they're not. I know you guys have that same testimony as I do. Yeah. There are so many of you that came here because you cried out to God and you said, I want absolute truth. Yeah. Now it's time to keep walking in that absolute truth. Amen. Now it's time to love that absolute truth even more than you did yesterday. Amen. Amen. First John 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished. It's great! <laughs> that we should be called children of God. Amen. And that is what we are. Yeah. Man, it sounds to me like the apostle, the elder, the disciple John was the secured son. Yeah, Looking at the people of God, he said, you are this. LCM, you are the ones that God has lavished his love upon. Amen. You are called sons of God. Amen. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Man, it is time that our reality, our paradigm shifts. Every single time you run into these situations, it's, my God, I'm becoming more like him. Yeah. I am his son. There's proof of it. Yep. He's molding me a little bit more like him, and that's why they don't recognize it, and they hate it in me. Yeah. Saints, God is giving us clear boundary lines for a reason. Yeah. Listen, the shocking reality of each of the verses that we just covered, overwhelmingly, is that the aggressor in each and every situation is the religious crowd. Yeah. Is those who once believed and now have nothing but fearful expectation of judgment. We have no reason to fear the demonic realm. We have no reason to fear the opposition that is ahead. Amen. We have reason to have reverence and awe for the mighty God who can shape you. Amen. That is what is life or death. Will we be molded in his hands or will you spurn correction until he gets you over? But tonight we're going to be molded. Yes. Things that have been around for a decade are going to be reshaped in the name of Jesus tonight. Brother Linton, pick up in 19 and 20 for us. Listen to me, O Lord. Hear what my accusers are saying. <laughs> Should good be repaid with evil, if they have dug a pit for me, remember that I stood before you and spoke in their behalf to turn your wrath away from them. Wow. Jeremiah, just like the amazing pastors that you have in this church Amen. has tried to turn these deceived brothers from the path that they were on. But the deceived brothers are now trying to rid themselves of the ambassador of truth wow. because they don't want to face the idolatry in their own hearts. This never ends very well. The number of people in this world that still claim to be in love with Jesus but hate those that really stand 
uncompromisingly for Jesus, it was a very, very long list. They don't tell you that the reason that they were in trouble is it was their 16th affair. They don't tell you that they stole money from the church. They don't tell you about the drug habit they had. They don't tell you about those things. What they do is they say, I love Jesus just as much as anybody else, and there's no reason that I'm not accepted there. Everyone is accepted here. The door is open if you walk in holiness. If you will not walk in holiness, then no, we don't ex- I'd rather stand alone. This includes my own family. This includes your families. This includes, we draw the line at those who do the will of God. That's where we draw the line. I want to encourage you to hold that line with us. Proverbs 26, 27 says something about these folks, though. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. It never ends well for those that attack those that uphold the standard. It won't be because Pastor Wade pulls his gun. And it won't be because Marlon Sosa jumps over a car. My God, that would scare me to death. (laughs) Okay? I I would not want any part of that giant Dominican. (laughs) It will be because God himself will take care of the situation. We don't want that for any man, which is why we warned them. Psalm 7, verse 14 says, He who is pregnant with evil. I saw a half-naked man that looked pregnant with evil Sunday. (laughs) He who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. You don't want that in your house. You don't want that around you. You don't want demonic smoke blowing into your ears. No matter how compassionate you are, you're not strong enough to handle that. Nobody is. That's why we keep a line. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. Do you think maybe the Lord's telling us something? Yeah. Well, good. Let's go on to verse 21. So give their children over to them. Wait, what? This is Jeremiah speaking about those men. Well, I should have told you. No man of God ever wants this, okay? But we do agree with God when it happens. You you hear that? It's not our desire to see anybody have judgment come on their head. That's why we started a church. But when God does do it, ah, we stand with God. We say, just endure your judgments, Lord. So give their children over to famine. Hand them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives be made childless and widows. Let their men be put to death, their young men slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when you suddenly bring invaders against them. For they have dug a pit to capture me and have hidden snares for my feet. For you know, O Lord, all their plots to kill me. Do not forgive their crimes or blot out their sins from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. Wow. Look, we want to show you this slide again that we started with. In the terms of the potter's house, the principle is that God is in control of all circumstances. Nothing that is happening around in this church catches God by surprise. 
everything that is going on, God is in control of, and he's using it to form the clay that wants to be formed. He also is using it to rid out the clay that does not want to be formed. His purpose is that God has an outcome that will ultimately be achieved. God has a purpose for this body. He has a purpose for Israel, and that will be achieved. That purpose is a radiant bride, a radiant body that is standing with him on the wedding day, and God will cause that to happen. Everything that he is doing is in that purpose. Now, for every person, every man, and every generation, this causes us to trust in him in every circumstance. Because we know the Lord. Because we are being made secure in our sonship. We know his principles, don't we? Amen. We know his purposes, don't we? That allows us to trust him in a greater measure that whatever he is doing in our lives, it is for the good. Now, we have exactly 20 minutes left, and we are going to finish on time. Would you all like to hear how some of these principles in Jeremiah connect that you've been learning for weeks? Yes. Okay, so think back to Jeremiah 13 with us for a moment. I want you to put the word principle back into your mind. In Jeremiah 13, the principle that God is in control of all circumstances was challenged because the people pretended to be priests while they were hiding idolatry. You guys remember the linen belt? Yeah. Remember how Jeremiah hit it? That was synonymous with the people hiding idolatry. That example flows into the next chapters. It flows into the next two. So the next one is found in Jeremiah 17, just a few chapters forward. The purpose of God was challenged because the families all possessed hearts that were deceitful. Their hearts, they stood in opposition to what the Lord wanted to do with them as a people. So we had a principle being challenged because we had priests with idolatry in chapter 13. We had the purposes of God that were challenged because of the families that had deceitful hearts that were opposed to what the Lord wanted to do. And finally, in our chapter tonight, Jeremiah 18, every person that makes up the nation of Israel is going to be shattered like a potsherd since they don't trust Adonai. They've lost their trust. They're marred in his hands. In chapter 18, the Lord's purpose for the nation will stand. It will eventually stand. We figure out that in chapter 18, this generation will not stand. Tonight, we want to take this into a close with you. And we want to close tonight with the story of two fields. A story of two fields, and we want to correlate them, relate them to the potter's house that we have been looking at tonight. Everybody turn with us to Matthew chapter 13. When you find verse 44, say there when you're there. So our first field comes from Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. 
Jesus Christ gave his life as a ransom for the entire world, knowing that there would be treasure inside of it. He purchased the obedience of the nations. But first and foremost, he purchased Israel. He purchased his bride, his treasured possession, his inheritance, and took the whole field with it. This is not the only field that was purchased by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, though. Would you like to hear the second field? Matthew 27, beginning in verse 4. It's Judas speaking. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. This is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. While Jesus' sacrifice buys the field and the treasure in it, Judas' religious wickedness also ends up purchasing the field that he will hang himself in. The two fields represent the choice of every believer. It's the choice to either be molded in the hands of the potter or to act as if the potter has no hands. When we think we know better than God, we are literally hanging ourselves. And according to Jeremiah and to the Apostle Peter, we get exactly what we deserve. Look at Acts 1 15 through 20. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, reward for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. What is the field name? Field of blood. The same field that was purchased by the religious leaders for the price of crucifixion. Verse 24, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms. May his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. But the amplified version of verse 25 says it all. To take the place in this ministry about Judas, to take the place in this ministry and receive the position of an apostle from which Judas fell away and went astray to go where he belonged to his own proper place. You see, you see the challenge before us? Everybody is in the hand of the potter. 
but how we choose to react to that hand determines whether we are hung or molded into a vessel of honor. Judas had every opportunity that everybody else had. And in the end, he turned on the standard of God and ended up hung in the potter's field purchased by his betrayal of Jesus Christ. The same thing is going on in church services every day. You can choose to stand with the righteous, be the ones that are attacked, or you can choose to stand with the popular religious crowd, be on the crucifying side, and be hung by your choice. The potter has hands, friend. He wants to heal you with those hands. Amen. But if you will not be healed, he'll execute you with your own choice. Yeah. I've lived long enough to see that more times than I have wanted. We have friends and relatives from this room who died homeless in ditches that were supposed to be here standing beside us teaching right now. These are serious, serious times. If you live in the generation where the love of most grows cold, you need to understand they'll do it while saying they're just as saved and just as in right standing as you are. You saw a drunk demoniac make all of those claims yesterday while slapping a pastor. And people in this congregation have been fellowshipping with. Okay? We need to grow up. We've got to grow up in our salvation. This ministry is not based on the generosity of a few. It's based on the sacrifice of all. We must stand together for righteousness' sake. Our loyalty is with those who do the will of God. Examine your attachment. Examine your relationships. I want you to know that this is important enough that it could cost you eternity. And nobody ever thinks that until it has. Y'all want to stand to your feet? Yes. For us here tonight, our cry has to be, Lord, my confidence is in you. My confidence is in your ability as a potter to mold me. Our cry has to be, Lord, make me pliable in your hands. Make me soft so that you can mold me. Wet me with the water of your spirit so that you can mold me. Help me to roll with the direction that you have for me in my life. If that is your prayer, if you continually remember what God did in the beginning, and then as you do that, let that process happen on a weekly, daily basis in you. Let that be your heart to cry out, make me pliable, not hard in your presence. I promise you that will keep you forever. Y'all want to pray that? Yes. Yes. No, I mean, are you guys ready to pray that? Yes! Come on, lift up your hands to the heavens.